Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hello, Phyllis. Welcome. And welcome, listeners, to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. Hi, Rubina. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. How is the weather back east? It's a little mild today, so um, it's comfortable. Um, I was actually, I've been traveling the past few weeks. I was in Buffalo and upstate New York, so Mm -hmm. it was a bitter cold. Now it's a little, uh, it's nicer to be back in lower Connecticut. It's a little more mild, so it's more comfortable. Okay, well, that's good. I was also traveling last week. And uh, I was in Canada seeing my mother, and uh, it was pretty cold and wet, uh, wet uh, over there as well. How's she doing? Uh, you know, she is doing well for her age. I always take a look at the positive. Uh, her mobility has definitely, definitely decreased, and she's barely taking steps. Hmm. Um, and uh, just, uh, I was sad when I left. Yeah, I haven't heard you say that before because you you've seen her deteriorate. I have seen her deteriorate, and uh, but uh, you know she was in positive spirits. Uh, she didn't have a big shopping list. She didn't have many things for me to do, but it was good to just uh, sit with her. Um, and uh, it's. Uh, um, <sighs> Well, I'll be going back in four weeks again. Okay, <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> I've already decided that uh, the last weekend in February, I will try to go and visit her, and we will. Uh, we need to look at the logistics, you and I. And I today, let's get back to our uh, conversation on the topic. We're going to talk about women and elder abuse for women in particular, and we know as women that we do have challenges that are more unique than they are for men uh, and for others. So let's uh, let's welcome our uh, our guest, Katie Henderson. And uh, Katie, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Yes, welcome, Katie. This is Rubina, and I have Phyllis on the on the other line. Welcome. Hi. How are you today? We are well. Hi. We are well. Thanks so much. I'm I'm well. Thanks. How are you? Great. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us, Katie. And we understand oh, thank that you, you are uh, you are the you are the coordinator at the Surrey Women's Center, right? And can you tell us a little bit about your uh, experience? Basically, introduce yourself, your experience, and what the Surrey Women's Centers does, please. For sure, yeah. I can start with, um, you know, who I am and my role uh, and my experience uh, at the center. So I started actually as a volunteer uh, in 2016 and uh, moved into a role as a victim support worker. Uh, And now I've become the coordinator of our crisis team. Uh, So that supports pretty much uh, anyone experiencing gender-based violence, either 
calling into our crisis line or dropping into our center. Um, we also provide accompaniment to folks uh, attending the hospital for a forensic exam after a recent assault. Um, so with all those folks, we do a risk assessment, a safety plan, and provide ongoing uh, support and resources, uh, whatever they're needing, really. Kaylee, um, can I just yeah. ask you, how, how long have you, uh, because you, like you said, you started out as a volunteer, how long have you been working with the center? Yeah, so I've been working with the center almost three years now. Yeah. Oh, okay. And what brought you to this work? Yeah, so I think it was a combination of lived experience. Um, honestly, as, as women, I think we all have our own lived experience. So that truly brought me to a place of wanting to support other women who had experienced violence. Um, and I also uh, had worked more as a support worker in terms of healthcare. So I was doing personal support work uh, back in Ontario. And then once I moved here as well. And then I, I realized I was being more drawn to this field, and I was looking for volunteer opportunities, and one popped up at the Surrey Women's Centre. And, um, yeah, they brought me on as a volunteer, and I guess the rest is history. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's one way of getting into your career of your choice, volunteer. And I think everybody mm-hmm. needs to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Katie, in your experience, what uh, types of abuses have you witnessed in older women in particular? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd say in my experience, particularly with older women, I notice kind of two prevalent um, streams. So there's uh, domestic violence, um, so it's intimate partner violence. And then I also notice that there's quite a lot of what we would refer to as other familial violence. And that usually is um, adult children, mostly adult mm. sons. Um, and, yeah, those are really the two more prevalent um, abuses I've noticed in elder women accessing our services. I, w- I was going to say that uh, people usually think of abuse as physical abuse, but there's really emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and um financial abuse as well. Do you see those those uh, impacting women who, who seek help from the center as well? Absolutely. Yeah. And usually, um, unfortunately, it can be, you know, more difficult for women experiencing maybe, um, you know, emotional abuse or financial abuse uh, as opposed to physical abuse to be taken seriously uh, when accessing services. And really, we know that those are just as serious um, as perhaps physical abuse or sexual abuse. And yes. so um, certainly we see a lot of folks accessing the center, um, maybe even who are experiencing physical abuse, but also experiencing emotional and financial abuse who might not even recognize or know that those are um, abusive behaviors. I was I was telling Rubina before you joined us, actually before we got on the air, that someone had told me a story recently about a um, a family that um, their the mother was living with them, and um, at the beginning of the day when they left for work, they would bring the mother to a mall where she had to stay the entire day um, with mm-hmm. limited resources. And that they wouldn't pick her up to come home until they came home late in the evening after work. And most people probably wouldn't think of that as some kind of abuse. But it is an abusive situation, is it not? Absolutely, that is. Yeah. When when 
when someone is exerting some sort of power or, or control over you, that certainly leads to an abusive uh, relationship and a dynamic. Um, and we often see behaviors like that, particularly, um, you know, perhaps with older women who have immigrated to Canada and may not um, know, you know, our systems or may not have a lot of supports in place, both socially and financially. Um, so they might be dependent on, um, you know, whoever this might be, whether it's a, an adult child or a partner. Um, and then it leads to an abusive dynamic like this, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You said something that I don't think we uh, said at the beginning of the uh, segment, which is that you actually are located in British Columbia. That's where this the Surrey uh, Women's Center is. So mm-hmm. you said emigrate to Canada. We didn't really make that clear. I don't think at the beginning that you're located in Canada. So uh, it's interesting to me and I'm sure to many of our listeners to know that that these situations occur no matter where people live. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And I think that um, that's a really important point to mention because I think sometimes there's this impression that, oh, it would never happen here or, um, you know, people don't do that here, but it really happens everywhere. And part of that misconception is that abusers are often quite good at hiding this behavior from the outside world. So, um, yeah, great point to mention, for sure. Yeah, and and uh, Kelly, I'd like um, us to go a little bit deeper on what constitutes abuse and what are some of examples of abuse so that listeners, when they're in that kind of situation, then they can connect and, and be, be aware that they are in an abusive situation mm-hmm. because I would think there are the many times people, you know, may not recognize that that it is an abusive situation. Can you share some stories, some examples for uh, for our listeners and for us, please? Sure. Yeah. So um, first off, I would say that a lot of uh, abusive relationships, and, and I'm I'm talking uh, intimate partner violence here. A lot of them will start out um, with some element of isolation. So this can look like the abuser um, trying to isolate you from family or from friends or maybe the workplace even. Um, so this could be, you know, things like, I, oh, I don't like those people or I don't think you should hang out with them anymore. Uh, comments like that. Um, and that's a very useful tool for an abuser because Um, When someone is a victim of domestic violence and is isolated, it's that much harder to get out of that situation. And what abusers Mm. are about is is holding that power and that control in that relationship. That's a very key point that we often see usually in the beginning of relationships. Um, Another big element certainly is financial abuse. um, Because again, coming back to that uh, control piece, we see... Um, financial dependency as being quite key in that. So if, um, for example, if the abuser is not wanting, you know, you to have access to, you know, the banking um, or wanting to have a joint account that only the abuser has access to or is controlling maybe where your income goes or is not wanting you to work and might frame it as different reasons, you know, oh, I want you to have more time with the kids, or, oh, I want you to be home and take care of the house or take care of yourself, when really it's creating that uh, dependency on them that they really Hmm. thrive on. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, um, 
in addition to um and there's something called intersectionality correct um can you talk yes. about that the the you know how sexuality race class uh, and age kind of intersect in this uh area yeah, definitely. So that was uh, a term coined by uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, and what it essentially speaks to is that um, oftentimes we experience multiple forms of oppressions that intersect at our identity. So um, when we talk about, say, an older woman, um, this woman might be experiencing oppression because of her gender as a woman, but also because of her age. Um, and then add to that, perhaps she is lower class, uh, so doesn't have access to financial resources. Um, she might speak English as a second language. Um, she might be an immigrant woman or an indigenous woman. So adding, you know, these compounding factors can really um, essentially place barriers in front of women when we already know that it is, um, you know, quite challenging <laughs> to be a woman, to say the least. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I hope that kind of covers that. <laughs> and and yeah. and what about people who women who have been exposed to some kind of abuse in their younger years? How does that impact uh, them becoming victims in their older years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So. Um, research actually shows that women um, who experience uh, violence in childhood, so that can be either witnessing or being a direct victim of it, uh, they're drastically more at risk of experiencing violence in adulthood and actually teenhood as well. Um, and that can be sexual violence, but uh, in particular domestic violence. And we know that often women experience violence across the lifespan. So certainly we see that, you know, older women who are accessing our services often have a history of violence that they've experienced. Um, so it's not just, you know, one particular incident, uh, but rather this, this lifetime, um, you know, of, of challenges that they've endured. So I have another question because um, in the United States, uh, in the state of Massachusetts, the Senate uh just unanimously passed a bill that would create a registry a registry of care providers who have an allegation of abuse against them, especially somebody with an intellectual mm-hmm. or developmental disability. Um, but we we've also found that people who unfortunately have caregivers that are not part of the family, sometimes they're neglected or abused in some way. Is there anything like that in Canada, Canada, or are you hearing about situations like that in Canada? And we have a few minutes before we go to break. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with any sort of registry like that. Um, I think it's a great idea, certainly, because we certainly know that... um, you know, coming back to that term of intersectionality, that also women who uh, have de- developmental disabilities or, um, you know, other uh, mental health challenges are more at risk of violence as well. So I definitely think, you know, that's a good idea. Um, and I do know that there was actually uh, recently a story in the news here in Canada about a woman who passed away in a nursing home um, due to uh, lack of care uh, in that home. So 
Mm. I know it does happen, and uh, certainly it is it is um, really tragic to hear when it does. Well, this situation uh, wasn't in a nursing home. It was in a private home. I actually know the woman, and um, oh, okay, that that has been uh, become quite an advocate in this area, and um, is working in the, another state to introduce some legislation similar to the legislation that was passed uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, There are so many people that are home now getting care at home, and and sometimes it's not the kind of care that we expect them to get or think they should get or are deserving to get. But we're going to take a short break, and uh, when we return from break, we'll continue the conversation on elder abuse, especially as it relates to women. It's such an important topic, and I don't think that so many people realize um, how many people are exposed to this situation. So we're going to take a short break right now. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chantry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of all of Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to our program today. I'm here with my co-host, Rubina, and Kaylee Henderson from the Surrey Women's Center in British Columbia. 
And we're going to continue the discussion on elder abuse, especially as it relates to women. And um, Kaylee, I'm sure listeners would would want to know information about where people would go to help for help, how they recognize that they're in an abusive situation, what should they do, who should they contact. I'm sure it's not much different in Canada than it is in the United States. So can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah, definitely. So I I think it would be important to start with, um, as you mentioned, how to recognize uh, if you may be in uh, this situation. And you know, there's a there's a number of ways, and certainly, you know, I would encourage folks to be kind to themselves and, and maybe recognizing that this is their situation because it's very difficult to recognize when you're in it. Um, but certainly, you know, if you're if you're getting to a point where you're feeling like you're perhaps walking on eggshells, uh, if you're having to look over your shoulder or cover your tracks, um, again, a big big thing is, is mentioning that isolation from supports you might have had in your life. Um, it might uh, be time to consider reaching out for support. Support is absolutely there. Um, and no matter where you are, I mean, I can certainly speak to supports here in Surrey, but um, wherever you are, I would encourage you to reach out to your local women's shelter or victim services. Um, and what we do as victim support workers is we work with folks calling in, no matter where they are at, if they're still not sure if they're in an abusive relationship or if they're, they know they're in one but aren't sure about leaving, uh, no matter where folks are at, we will uh, work with them to create a personal safety plan, uh, so something to keep them safe, whether they stay or leave, um, as well as talking about resources and emergency housing. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's called a transition house in the States, but... Um, here in, in British Columbia, we have transition houses or safe houses for women uh, and their children mm-hmm. who are fleeing violence. Um, we even have one in Surrey that is dedicated specifically to older women. Um, so I would encourage folks to reach out to them. Uh, if you're feeling unsafe about doing so, maybe speak to a, a friend or, or a colleague, someone that you trust who might be able to support you in making that contact. Um, yeah, I would say that's a good first step to take. There are resources, um, and that's what we're here for. Would uh, Would you say that you just said that there is a women's um, there is women's housing in your area that dedicated to older women? Do you think, however, for the most part, that shelters or safe houses are equipped to address the needs of older women? For the most part, I would say no, Um, and there's a few reasons for that. One is that most of them are geared specifically to women with their children. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I found that a lot of transition houses are not accessible. Um, So by that, I mean uh, folks with wheelchairs or walkers uh, wouldn't be able to access the house. Mm. Um, So I would, yeah, so I would say in general, they are not um, geared towards that older population, unfortunately. And would you say that somebody who has some kind of cognitive impairment is um, has a has more of a challenge if they do reach out to someone uh, to to express what they're feeling about their situation that uh, people are less likely or less inclined to maybe uh, believe what they say or have confidence that they really know what they're talking about? Have you encountered that? I 
I haven't personally encountered that, but I could certainly see that being the case. Um, because in my experience, oftentimes women aren't believed at the best of times um, when coming forward uh, about what they've experienced. So I imagine that, you know, in, in experiencing a cognitive impairment or development disability, that um, that would just add another challenge uh, in being believed and coming forward. Um, but we do have, and I don't know if it's the same uh, where you folks are, but uh, we do have organizations specifically dedicated to folks uh, with developmental disabilities. Um, so we do uh, often partner uh, with them in supporting folks who might be in that situation. Kelly, hmm. uh, uh, yeah. we were talking about the women and we, uh, the elder women uh, or those that are in those unfortunate situations. And we're putting right now the onus on them to to identify that they're in that situation and seek out help. Now, you work with the Surrey Women's Center. What are some of the outreach activities that you're doing to letting them know what's available for them? Or do you wait for the women to come and, uh, and walk in? What, what's your uh, spreading the word that help is available methodology? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we try to get the word out about us as much as possible um, with opportunities such as this. So thank you for that. Um, so we do try to reach out to the community and do partner um, with local organizations, for example, immigrant services, uh, indigenous organizations, um, queer and trans groups. Um, and so, you know, we do try to get the word out uh, to reach those populations who might not otherwise know that we're here um, or that might resonate, you know, if we, if we, uh, for example, use a brochure that uh, lists some, um, you know, kind of examples of abuse that might resonate with them and encourage them to reach out. Um, but we are a voluntary service, so we do, you know, spread the word as much as we can about ourselves, but at the end of the day, we do leave it in folks' hands to reach out to us when they're ready. When you say Indigenous people, can you uh, describe for the listeners who you're referring to? Oh, yes. Uh, so the First Nations um, peoples of Canada. Um, so I, I guess it, the, the equivalent term would be Native American in the yep. United States. Mm -hmm. And there are several situations like that. And, and uh, socialized, socialized isolation uh, in those communities is even more of an issue because they're insulated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we do definitely see the... Uh, ongoing impacts of colonization and certainly the intergenerational trauma uh, that has been experienced. Um, I believe it also happened in the States, but here in Canada, we had uh, what we call residential schools, um, which were schools that were essentially put in place by the government to try to uh, assimilate uh, Indigenous children into um, uh, essentially the Eurocentric way of being. Um, mm -hmm. And those children experienced... Uh, quite uh, horrific abuses in those schools. And so we've seen this intergenerational um, trauma kind of passed on from experiencing, um, you know, those abuses. And so we see that um, certainly come up uh, in, in um, current times now uh, with children, youth, and adults that we serve. Mm, very interesting. So mm -hmm. what you're talking about is primarily in the area where you live, which is um, British Columbia in Surrey. Um, yes. Are you aware of 
situations like this in the rest of Canada or as, as a, you know, as in, I know it's a, Obviously, like here, there are different states and there are different, um, what do I want to call them? Um, provinces. Provinces. I just lost the word. I think this is a universal <laughs> situation, Phyllis. I don't think it's uh, specific to only to Surrey or to Canada. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. universal. It's, you know, elders as a collective are at the disadvantage just because, you know, as we've been talking about, because of failing health and not having the ability to be self-sufficient. And that leaves you yeah. vulnerable for uh, for many many situations, and uh, you double that by being a woman, and you double that by being an immigrant woman, you double that by being uh, you know a, a minority, and it it all compounds, and it uh, it mm-hmm. is happening. It is happening, and I think we we are doing good things at spreading the word. And Kaylee, you're definitely doing good work at your at your center. What are some of the things that you do once they have come to your center? Yeah, so um, what we do is we start out with what we call a risk assessment. So mm-hmm. essentially we'll start out by asking the women kind of what's going on for them. So what, what has brought them to our center? And then we'll ask um, a series of questions. Uh, all of the victim support workers are trained in assessing risk. So what that means is that we're looking at particular risk factors to identify um, if women might be at what we call highest risk, uh, and that is in terms of lethality uh, in cases of domestic violence. So um, when we go through our risk assessment, we are looking at these factors to um, potentially flag as, as a high-risk um, case. Uh, requiring mm-hmm. more care. And we actually have a specialized team um, of domestic violence uh, victim support workers that will continue that work if that uh, risk is identified. Um, so we start out with, with that. Um, from there, we also, once we've done a risk assessment, we can then move into a safety plan. So that is where we, using those risk factors and other uh, details that the women have provided about their situation, uh, figure out a plan together about how they can stay safe in the coming days, weeks, months, years. Um, once we do that, then we see, you know, what resources might be applicable or what they might be interested in at this time. So are they looking for emergency housing? Are they looking for income support? Are they looking for childcare? Um, those types of things. Um, are they so, looking for, you know, grandparent support, things like that. So, um, yeah, a lot of what we do is based on uh, resources in the community, but certainly, um yeah, we're kind of flexible to the to the women's needs. So, are you the last resource that they're coming to? Sorry, could you repeat that? As, are you the last resource that they're coming to? This is when they've uh, had enough and they're they're leaving their situation, or at what point in this progression are they reaching out to the Surrey Women's Center? Yeah, you know, it really depends. Um, we see folks from kind of all stages, I guess you could say. So we could maybe be serving someone who uh, perhaps the abuse had started out as um, emotional abuse, so perhaps isolation, name-calling, and then moved to financial, um, and now there's been the first escalation to physical violence. So they've decided they wanted to reach out for support. 
Um, or it might be that, um, you know, oftentimes we know, I think the average uh, amount of times a woman returns to an abusive relationship is seven times. So maybe, you mm. know, they're, they're wanting to leave for the fifth or sixth time. So we're going to talk out a safety plan with them. Um, mm. You know, things like that. So it really varies, you know, depending on the situation. Can, can you repeat, repeat what did you say about the seventh time? I didn't quite get the significance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They come so, to you... So we know that women who are fleeing an abusive relationship um, often uh-huh. don't um, leave permanently the first time they leave. Oh, okay. So okay. Um, oftentimes we see folks returning to abusive relationships, and that can be for a number of reasons. It could be, you know, financial dependency. Here in British Columbia, we have a housing crisis right now, so it could be because they can't find affordable housing. Um, could be because of trauma bonding, so they've bonded to their abuser. It could be a number of mm. different reasons. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's interesting that they would uh, that you have a statistic that they would go seven times. So I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to inter- interrupt, but I just had a question based on that. So if they go back to that situation, is there any kind mm-hmm. of um, follow up or? Um, connection that the center maintains with a person who first made a contact? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We'll maintain that contact as long as they're wanting it or needing it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And what are your modes of uh, maintaining contact? What are, you know, obviously they're in that, back in that situation. What uh, methods do you use or how do you keep that contact? Yeah, um, so it depends on the person and and kind of what means of um, control the abuser might be using. So it could be that, uh, you know, she can only talk to us when she's at work um, because he pays for the phone bill. um, So he would see her calling our center. Um, It could be that we can only communicate by text because he listens in on her calls. Uh, It could Mm. be that we just communicate by email. Um, we really, and again, that's um, part of the safety planning is figuring out what are the safe means of communication that we can keep in touch. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. we will create things like code words with her so that we know that he's come home and we know to end the call. Um, mm-hmm. Part of safety planning can be having them create a, a code word with a, a trusted person for them to call 911 for them. Um, is is so it really, more difficulty? I'm sorry, I just wanted to ask when you said about like technology, texts or different things, would you mm-hmm. say that older people have more difficulty with that? Um, yeah, I would say I would say it does limit our options for sure. Um, I do and I have worked with um, some older women whose only means of communication is by phone. So we're really limited in trying to reach her when she's alone. Um, and that does, in some ways, limit communication, but in some ways it can also be easier because we're noticing with younger folks um, that abusers are getting much more creative in using technology for tracking women. Mm. Um, so using, um, you know, apps that can find your phone or, um, you know, using technology to track locations. Mm-hmm. Um so in some ways, it can actually make it easier to not have those technology pieces. Mm, interesting. That, that is very interesting. Kelly, you've certainly certainly brought some light to this uh, uh, this topic and the conversation, and we hope that 
our listeners are are aware of the signs. There's one thing that you mentioned earlier, and you mentioned that adult sons were one of the the group that were more uh, abusive. What what's the biggest thing with adult son that you I you highlighted them? Mm, yeah, so I've noticed this this pattern in my work where, and again, this comes back to talking about this this lifespan of violence that we see women experience, where they've perhaps had an abusive partner, and through whatever um, situation are separated, either the partner has passed away or they managed to get away from them, um, and usually we see that this their son, mm. um, when they become an adult. Uh, can become abusive towards mm. the mother. So oh, now the mother me. is experiencing the abuse from the son. Me. And we, we know that, you know, much like women are, are more likely to experience violence when they witness it as a child, men are more likely to commit violence when they witness it mm. as a child. Oh, so, we only have a few um, seconds left. Can you tell people how they can get in touch with the center just for uh, the last few seconds? Absolutely. So you can call our crisis line, 604-583-1295. You can find us on Google or social media, Surrey Women's Center, uh, or you can call our business line, 604-589-1868. Well, that was just terrific, Kaylee, and uh, we appreciate it. And I know the listeners learned a lot of very important information. We're going to take a short break. And we'll return on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy when Rubina and I will continue this conversation. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You're tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Thank you, and welcome back to our listeners. And Phyllis, wasn't that an exciting conversation and uh, and emotionally touching <laughs> conversation? I um, yeah, my mind is uh, swirling with um, uh-huh. situations that I've seen, or questions I have, or people I'm thinking about. Um, I, I and I'm sure the listeners are as well. Yeah, and uh, and I like you, I. I'm just feeling this swell of emotion and and sympathy uh, for those who who may be in those situations, and the and the two two goals that I think that are coming to my mind for for this program and and for the listeners is to to keep in mind that that you you're aware of yourself and your actions that you may not inadvertently become an abuser. I think, I think that is, that is very much to, uh, to remember mm. because so far we've been talking about the, those who are abused, how do they get help? How do they, you know, um, uh, reach out? But if we can spread this word a little bit that each one of us need to, to know that, that we're, cognizant of our behaviors, that our behaviors, whether they're towards elderly women or elderly men or the seniors in nursing homes, that they do not cross that that line. And uh, Phyllis, you've been working in nursing homes for a majority of your life, and I'm sure you've seen uh, uh, some situations uh, that uh, that you might like to share. Oh, absolutely. I'm... Um, when you when you said it, obviously, I was thinking that, um, and I'm actually even thinking just in a in a general sense before I talk about uh, specific situations. But I would almost venture to say that if, as a general rule, if if people aren't receiving the kind of care that they should be receiving, that that's an abusive situation. Mm-hmm. Probably people wouldn't think of it that way. Um, and of course, I've seen a, a lot of that, unfortunately. But uh, I'm going to recall a situation that happened. I've actually been talking about it recently. It happened many years ago in a nursing home. And um, sometimes we don't see that somebody who appears to be caring or interested or involved it actually may be coming from a different place and you don't always uh, recognize it until something happens. So in this particular case, the woman had some advanced um, dementia and um, she came and she was eating food that was kind of pureed and things like that. And I was working with her to um, improve the kind of food that she could eat. And uh, she was there for quite some time and, um, you know, I always educated her husband, who was always there, it seemed, about the kinds of food she should be eating and how we would progress. And anyway, one day I went in and he was feeding her marshmallows, which was certainly a food that could cause her some choking. 
And, uh, of course, I educated him about that. But uh, a week or two later, a nurse witnessed him trying to hit his wife. And we never would have known that. Um, so I think what what I want to say is people have to be, like you said, cognizant, aware, mindful, watching, uh, and to think beyond what they're seeing, because what you're seeing isn't always really coming from a great place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's it's really a challenging situation. You know, when you look at it from the perspective of the abuser and the abused, um, you know, it's a it's a strenuous situation. Uh, sometimes it's an issue of, uh, you know, as we're saying, finances. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, my visits with my mom. And I think it was a few weeks back that I shared with you that, you know, I want to practice being more patient. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, uh, and sometimes it's just <laughs> the number of things on your <laughs> plate that you have no intention but uh, but you can be a little impatient, and I'm not saying that being impatient once in a while is is abuse. But uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, uh, but uh, there is a there is definitely um, uh, there are definitely many many situations that we could uh, we could count and recount. So let's uh, let's focus on what are some of the solutions that you found. Hmm. Well, I think. Um if you're if you're you have a loved one in a facility of some sort, a nursing home or a assisted living facility, and you don't believe that they're receiving the kind of care they should be receiving, um, which could even be neglectful care, which is a, a kind of abuse, whether it be that they're not being fed properly or enough or changed or whatever it is, then it's up to you to advocate for them. And we had a show a couple of weeks ago about advocacy and how important advocacy is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say that that's one thing. Uh, The other thing is in um, the area where I am, I'm sure actually it is, it's, it has to do with all uh, it's national law. I believe that people are mandated reporters. So if you see something, you know, that expression, if you see something, say something, if you Mm -hmm. see any kind of abuse or suspect that there is abuse, um, you need to report it, Uh, Mm -hmm. whether it be to your supervisor or, you know, the person above that person, or even if you have to make an anonymous phone call. I have known people to make anonymous phone calls in nursing homes through the years, Mm -hmm. Uh, even financial abuse, I may add. Uh, So these situations exist not not only in the community. Uh, And I think it's important for us to make that statement. Not that that's to say that everybody in facilities is being abused. I don't want people to think that. Right. Mm-hmm. There are those situations that people have to be particularly mindful of. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a good point that uh, that uh, we're not <laughs> we're not making a general no. statement that everybody is being abused, but there are those situations where, where it, uh, it crosses a line, and that's where right. the 
uh, it's important to to recognize that. And, and, and I want to, to, can I just add one other sure. thing? Um, sure. There's there's sexual abuse in nursing homes as well, and I don't know if you're aware of this situation in I forgot which state it was, where this a uh, young gal who wasn't um, really uh, responsive. Uh, was impregnated by a staff member and wound up having a baby. Were you? I th- was it Ohio? It was. It was some. I don't so, remember where, yeah, but it was a state sure. in this country. I don't know if you had heard about it. So there are many different kinds of abuse. Is what I'm. I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure the all the abuse, all the situations that are in the society, kind of filter down Correct. to all different environments, including nursing homes and elders and uh, and all that. You know, we we've talked about the education of the of the abused person and what uh, she can do uh, and you know let's put, say there are men that are abused too but we're talking about That's women true. our show is about women today <laughs> but that is you true know, that is true yes and then what you know to me the the root solution to this is likely to be the education of the abuser and not only the support to the person who is being abused, because I, I can assure you that there are times that people don't rec- recognize that they are crossing that line of abuse. What are your thoughts on? I'm just getting that feeling that if we, you know, how can we prevent it? What would our preventative measure be? Uh, I, well, I agree with what you just said. I think there's something you said earlier that plays a key role in this, and that is if. People are caring for their, and in this case, we're talking about parents so or older people. So if they're caring for an older person, uh, sometimes it does become very difficult, just like if you're caring for a child, let's say, mm-hmm. and people do lose their patience and they feel stressed out. And um, like you said, maybe at those times cross a line. So, uh, or they don't know what else to do or where else to turn because the resources aren't available. So there are many resources available online where people can um, find out a lot of information on um, how to care for an older person, whether it's um, through uh, your local area on aging or if it's somebody with a cognitive impairment, the Alzheimer's Association, or if it's Parkinson's, the Parkinson's Association, or, you know, there are organizations for every area. Um, or to, to reach out to your local clergy person if you mm-hmm. feel stressed to that degree and, you know, or, or feel like maybe you're doing things that aren't so appropriate. Uh, there are so many avenues, or even your physician or the person's physician. I think people can reach out in whatever way they can um, to a variety of resources to get information about themselves, just like what you said gee, is what I'm doing crossing the line? Or I feel so stressed. I feel like sometimes maybe maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing. That's the time to um, reach out to get some information. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just as we're talking, I'm Googling how to know if you're an abuser. And there are sev- several hits. And there, one of them is 11 signs you might be emotionally abusive without realizing. Oh. Uh, so I think if if... I think I'm definitely going to go and search that. So, if, because I think that's where the prevention is. That's where the solution is. Not only for the person abused to get help, that's important, uh, 
and uh, I, I think we should uh, our listeners please uh, uh, Google and find out you know how to identify uh, when someone is an abuser in addition to how to get help when you feel that you are an abuser. And there's lots of information available online. And I'm sure if we dig deeper into this information, there will be uh, lots of resources and there will be resources in your local areas. So please, let's let's come at this from both ends. Absolutely. from, From preventing and stopping and proactively being mindful, as you said, Phyllis, right. of the situation, then also give support to those who are in that situation and how can we help them get out of that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, and, and by the way, that's not an easy thing to look at yourself and your own behavior. Uh, it, it's That's not an easy thing, um, especially... It's, it's- if you have a lot of responsibilities, people feel like they don't even have time to think, let alone stop and look at themselves or think about what they're doing. So I don't want people to get the impression that this is just an easy thing to do. It uh, it takes time, but you don't want to be hurting somebody else. Um, because eventually, it, you know, it, it might be you who are the older person. And that's a good way to think about it, I think. Oh, you will eventually be the older person because we're all going that. That's a good point. I think even if we leave the message in this show that our listeners to be mindful on both sides of the spectrum, and I think it's it's our time time well spent. That I it agree. is. Let's let's be mindful and let's be kind to each other, and uh, and and together we can be better for each other and with each other. You know, I just want to, um, we only have a few um, moments left, but uh, we talked last week about relaxing and calming yourself and breathing, and that might be an easy uh, a place for yeah. people to start. If mm-hmm. you just take a second, you know how you used to hear count to five or count to 10 before you react yeah. to something? Take a few deep breaths. And, okay, uh, um, Phyllis, let's take a few relax. brief deep breaths and because we have to sign off now. Okay. Thank you very much for the conversation. And this is uh, Rubina Chaudhry and Phyllis Amen on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. And you can send us a message from the homepage or you can go to olivecs.org for all the recorded sessions from before. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.